What's up, guys? All right, good evening and welcome to Lost in the Long Box for Wednesday, June 17th. I am your host, Campbell. I've got co-host Olivia. Say hello. Hey, what's up, everyone? Olivia, say hello. Donna, say hello. Everyone say hello or thumbs up for me. Yeah. All right, how is everyone's last week? Good. Finally got, got some comments. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm going to touch off this first because I want to also say back to Pastor Steve what I got to say about this week. I put money on it.
Okay, cool. Well, I tell you, tell you what, man, people are fickle because I've read there's already people canceling their subs to, uh, simply because DC or Disney said it's not going to happen right away, and people are just like, oh, I'm taking my money back. So. Meanwhile, um, back at the ranch, HBO Max is doing their own set of special comics related to DC because of the whole thing with them getting the Snyder Cut. So now they're doing um, their little series that they're going to be pushing out. So, hey, Tommy, what, what do you got? This is big stuff. Awesome. You know, and it's it's funny. I I never wish for one of the comic movies to tank, but I really want that new Batman movie to tank. I just have not. I ain't it. feeling it. I have. I'm like not feeling it, man. I mean, no, no. All all we're seeing is basically, and I'm just going strictly by the Batman page. All I'm seeing is just fan art, and maybe a few pictures with a stunt man, and he looks more like Catman than he does Batman. Right. I'm not yeah. a fan but of I'm the a... bat symbol being made from. Yeah, the exactly. Either. Me neither. Yeah. And, and and like that wasn't even part of, of that wasn't even part of the mythology. So I don't know whose yeah. idea it was to do that. Right. It would have been. Well, better... you always get some, some director or writer that says, you know, I can improve upon it. Yeah. Well, can you? No, but because because the best thing that should have been done was they should have kept it just like they did in Batman yet beginning of Batman Year Two, where you had Bruce hide the gun. Go back to the scene, go and get it, and then wait until he tracked down Joe, T Joe Chill and confronted him with it. That that was the best thing that was ever done with, with that part of Batman's origin. And then they go and, and, and for the lack of better terms, muck it up. I, I'm sorry, guys. I broke Enos. So. <laughs> so, yeah, there you but, go. Yeah, but this, but Fandom will be uh, will be start being accessible as of August 22nd at 10 a.m. at dcfandom.com. Um, you know, definitely check it out. It looks is like that on the DC Universe app, Tommy? Is that? I know uh, it looks like this. Its own it looks website. Like it's going to be a separate uh, link. Okay. Separate, separate link. Its own website, DCFandom.com. Okay. Um, you know, no, no lanyard or, or or pass required. You know, it looks like it's all free and it's going to have like an awful lot of content. So it's definitely something worth checking out. I can't wait for it. Oh yeah. It should be some good stuff. I, I will say, it looks like they're doing that apart from what I'm now have dubbed FD or FSDCC, Virtual San Diego Comic Con, because they're doing their own thing, which means I could see them not being part of San Diego's little virtual thing. So Yeah, I could see that too. Um, also, go ahead. Let's talk about the hot book that's just, I know, stuck in your craw. Oh, now. yeah. <laughs> Ultimate Fallout 4 has gone through the friggin' roof because PlayStation 5 will be coming out later this year and it's apparently going to be a Spider-Man's going to be a launch title with Miles Morales as the main character. So I'm all for Miles Morales. I haven't read any of his books, but I saw Into the Spider-Verse, liked the movie, thought it was great, liked his character in it. 
but people are paying outrageous amounts because of the announcement of this video game. And I got one thing to ask you guys. What if this video game tanks? I doubt that. Yeah, I, I mean, I, what I, if it sticks? I've seen some what of the graphics. I've seen What's some that? Of the, I've seen some of the graphics on it. And the, from what I've seen, if it sticks, has great storylines like the Batman games does, mm-hmm. I, I think it's going to do well. Oh, the things like I have seen games yeah, that yeah. have been absolutely beautiful, Enos, but have not been fun to play. So, gra- I, oh, I don't. I'm, I'm not a, a gamer, so I'll take your word for it on that. But See, now, I got arthritis like Fred Sanford. The, the, the Spider-Man game that came out for PS4 was very good. So oh, if yeah. they use like the same the same engine and the same way that to work it, this will be a good game. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying that it's you know definitely going to be a bad game, but you know what if this game tanks and you guys have spent all this money for this book and then the book tanks as a result of it? Well, it's kind of one of those things where, from your point of view too, it's like everybody's pouring all their money into it it's kind of this big marketing ploy so you set up yourself up for super high expectations it's hard to live up to that yeah and it's just i don't know i'm it's, it's not a book i'm particularly interested in like i said i don't know a lot about the, the character other than what i saw from into the spider-verse so it's so, not one that i'm super worried about but so here's how you do this Boys maybe you want girls, to calm down on this book a uncle little bit. randy's going to tell you how to do this you buy the book now uh, you go ahead pay it's going to be a little bit high you hold on to the book. The first week the game's out, when it comes out, is, is new game still Tuesday, Wednesday, what have you, just like comics? The yes. first week the game's Tuesday. out, before a whole week has gone, you flip that sucker that weekend. <laughs> before, ah. before word of mouth has gotten out if the game is bad or not. There you go. Well, thank you, Uncle. You're welcome. And this week's investment tip has been brought to right. you by... From the only person <laughs> on the show who has a Patsy Walker 95. So. Oh, shut up. <laughs> Don't right. make me come up with it. <laughs> Enos, tell me, tell me your new story for the week. Well, this last on uh, Monday, it was announced that a pretty much pop culture icon is going to be make is going to be to be returning in the realm of comics, uh, basically in mainstream comics, specifically Marvel. If you're a fan of the old uh, Japanese action adventure series Ultraman who I personally think is the world's ugliest superhero, but who am I to say? <laughs> that is an ugly uh, uh, uh This fool isn't remotely handsome. Anyway, <laughs> September, <laughs> September in Marvel Comics, The Rise of Ultraman will be debuting on comic shelves. Now, what's going to make this book sound? The cover is done by none other than the incomparable Alex Ross. I had a feeling you were going to say that. Yep. Now I, so I've seen the I've seen the ad for it, and it's yes, it's a Ross cover. It's it's it, the cover looks great, but you hit. This is a true testament to how ugly Ultraman is. When when Alex Ross can't make you look good, you ugly. <laughs> you are some kind of ugly. If my, if 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 Alex Ross cannot remove some of the ugly to make him look appealing. Now there are, now thank goodness there are other versions of Ultraman if you know anything about the character. So what it's I never was a fan of the show. I got into Ultraman after I got out of the Gulf War. There was a um new updated series, Ultraman Onto the Future or something like that. And that was pretty good. 
But I got um. But I've seen in uh, in anime on animation. There's other versions of Ultraman. There was an Ultraman two that came out where the Ultraman was a lot more heroic looking than his predecessor that everyone is familiar with in the states. So hopefully we'll see Ultraman, Ultra Seven, Ultra Terra, Ultra Leo. It's amazing that I know much about these. So hey, you said that you know you're ugly if Alex Frost can't make you look good, right? Right. Let's test this theory. Let's commission a portrait of Tommy. Oh. Oh. Alex Ross. If Alex Ross did a painting of me, it would be the best selling. Oh, my God. So, everyone go for the jugular. Damn. Television in a place of love so everybody could see it as they came in. So, Darren Robinson. Who is the associate art director over at DC for covers? Right. Um, one of the things he's been doing is a lot of the um, the movie homages for the DC's deceased, uh, which are r- really great, right? Oh, those horror covers we were talking about a few months back. No, no, no. The, the actual individual issues. He right. Was, he was one of the art directors for the um, the movie covers that they were doing. Right. Right. Okay. Stuff. Okay. Um, he just recently tweeted, um, and it's been taken down already. Okay. Oh, wow. Um, so obviously he said something he shouldn't have, but what he said was, and, I, and I'm reading this verbatim, kids. Last year, my design for the Batman Who Laughs logo got chosen, and he was the biggest new character of that year. I just got another new logo approved for what I think is definitely the biggest new character of this year, and I tell you a joke, but I always forget the dot, dot, dot. Punch. So he has hinted that there might be a punchline punch series line. coming. Yep. Um. Which I, you know, I hate to say it, but I'm actually kind of starting to dig that character. Especially. Punchline. Oh, yeah. Especially the last Batman where her and Harley start getting into it. Mm-hmm. Move closer to the mic. Together. Well, at that point, I mean, together. Harley's but already in how many titles by herself? They right. might as well get off a punchline. Well, I'm hoping that, um, that it's going to be like maybe a one shot like Batman Who Laughs or maybe a miniseries. I don't want them to try and squeeze a regular series out of her. So. Mm-hmm. Also, yeah, because we don't. Go ahead, Tommy. I was gonna say we don't need. We, I don't think we need a a punchline series, ongoing series. At least, you know, not right now. You say that. Yeah, the six very, issues, mini the series. Very first, Amanda, God, the very first um, Harley Quinn series when she was still in the the red and black costume. That actually was a good series. Uh, so there's potential there, but I just don't think we need to be flooded with punchline material. Uh, Norman Osborn is going to be returning as. Green Goblin in Spider-Man 850 in September. Uh, My only problem with this is please make the story have some type of meaning. Um, Don't just be a a gimmick because if you put him back as Green Goblin and I get a missed story, uh, that's going to be bad news for a lot of people because we're just going to end up cutting Marvel again. You want to hear something funny? I haven't bought a Spider-Man comic in like about 10 years. You uh, boycotted (laughs) like I did with the whole one more day thing. No, I just lost interest. Well, (laughs) there you go. All right, so that is the news items. Let's do some show and tell. I'm going first because I got three of them over here. Wow, overachiever. Well, me, Enos, and Madman. So oh, okay. Madman I thought you bought yourself. Uh, uh, and I can't believe he's got this. And I, and I got to tell you, I have been studying this thing for like about 10 minutes before the show started. Um, got to love this Rob Liefeld cover to Youngblood number one. There is not a foot not in the a entire foot. thing. <laughs> Not a foot, <laughs> not a yeah, foot on the whole page. <laughs> I, I looked at it and I even told Mavin, there's not a foot to be seen on here. 15 characters and no feet, baby. <laughs> and maybe all of five hands. 
Uh, Three of them on the same character. Uh, so. How many pouches? Pouches. Huh? Uh, how many pouches are on the cover? Well, he's hiding the pouches, but yeah, there's. I, oh, okay, I was, okay. So, but yeah, not a foot. To, not a foot to be had. Hey, look, you. I've got that Hawkman comic that I brought in here that Liefeld did. No feet so on maybe, it either. No, there's a foot on it. There's feet on it. All right. Must have had a Are they good artist. feet though? Uh, uh, I, there's got to be a I reason. I was going to ask him if he would like to uh, <laughs> me to pull it up so you can see it because you weren't with us when I brought it on the show. I like this one. Uh, this is one Enos brought in. Batman uh, for. 408, uh, Jason Todd stealing the hubcaps off the Batmobile. Nice. And this is actually how he finds him. He goes into yeah. the alley. Is that his first? Huh? The first appearance. Is that Jason Todd's first appearance? The first post-crisis yeah. Jason Todd appearance. Okay. Now, I think the character had been around before this, but this is the yeah. one where Batman's like, I can't have you walking the street stealing stuff. Um, little did he know yeah. that sooner or later. Yeah, they revamped that character right. because... In 83, they introduced Jason Todd, but his origin was exactly like Dick Grace's. They had to do something to shake it up. Now, my last show and tell, I'm going to save for our subject because it ties into it. Um, so, uh, Tommy, you're up. All right, I'm up. Uh, this is a good one I got last year at the um, at Awesome Con. It is Avengers number 196, the first appearance of the Taskmaster. Taskmaster. I have that one. What a great book. Yeah, this is a pretty book, too. This is in great condition. That's so, one of the ones oh, I, Bill, and, Bill and I have always liked. I think he has a fantastic power set. He's very oh, underutilized. Yeah. Very underutilized. With that power set, he could be a much, much, much bigger villain than what he right. is. Well, I like I, what they did with him. They actually made him a, an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Did you read his um, his miniseries that, that they had him with years back? No, I haven't. Oh, it was great. He was, he was a, a, an, an agent. He was actually, he's actually an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. But his mind is all screwed up because of how he got his powers. So he has a handler, which is in his wife, that that works for Shield, and she sends him on missions. And they basically use him to keep track of all these terrorist cells and everything like that for him. And then when he starts to remember and everything like that, they make him forget again. So he begins the process all over again. It was great because one of the villains of it, and it was was the red shirt supervillain leader of MILF. <laughs> <laughs> God. And MILF was an acronym, but I don't remember what it stands for. But but that but that's what that's what he went by. And, and one of it, one of his villains was in there laughing at us, like, "Do you have any idea what MILF stands for?" And the guy looks up, like, "I'm going to die, aren't I?" And then he goes, <laughs> <laughs> "All right, Olivia, you right. got something for me?" I do. So it's not in the greatest shape, but it's one of those really cool things. I've never seen one of these before. It's a oh Batman wow. 3D. That's cool. Um. Definitely was loved by whatever kid owned it growing yeah, up because it, it does have some crayon on the cover. But it's so cool. I mean, it. you open it up. Awesome. Nice. Yeah. The whole thing. Cool stuff. That's awesome. That is really cool. I dig that. And I Very dig those cool. nails, too. Those things are like. Back cover. No, no, because he's got feet. You can say that. You always want to just throw your whole collection at me when it comes to show and tell. No, you know, want, I, he comes I with I a short box to, every week. I love. I wanted Olivia to see the feet so she can make her assessment. All right. Look, Rob Liefeld knows how to draw feet. It took him twenty years, but he knows how to draw feet. Those are boots. I mean, he used to draw like a foot with like toes and everything. That doesn't count. They're just boots. There was a reason why I did it because I knew Olivia was going to get tired. How hard is it to screw up boots? Come on. Okay. I did his entire semester art classes on drawing feet and hands. That's not how you do it. All right. So, 
uh, we are going to move into tonight's subject. Um, I don't remember the date, uh, and I meant to look that up, um, but I believe this was just last week, after last, last week's show, it right? It was uh, last uh, Thursday June night. 11th. Yes. On June 11th. June yeah. 11th. Yeah. Um, we lost a giant ago. in the comic industry and Mr. Danny O'Neill. Uh, so we're going to talk about him tonight, uh, and my show and tell actually ties into that. But uh, born in St. Louis, Missouri, I noticed his year wasn't on his bio, so I didn't get that. 1939. Uh, was it 1939? Okay, cool. You can say me as my mother. <laughs> All right. Uh, graduated, I guess, St. Louis University here. It says around uh, 1960s. Um, had a degree in English literature, of all things, okay? But here's what was funny is um, he was actually in the Navy, and he participated in the U.S. blockade of uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis. Wow. So Pretty impressive. We'd like to talk to him just about that. But wow. I guess he had a, a job with a newspaper there in Missouri, and he was writing a, a bi-column, a bi-weekly uh, youth page. And then during the slow months, he was writing um, series on comic books in the comic industry, which caught Roy Thomas's attention. The great Roy Thomas. Who was, at this time, was editor of another legendary name. Huh? And Roy Thomas, another legendary name we recently talked about. Right. Mm -hmm. So what ended up happening is, when Roy was ready to leave Marvel for DC, he told Stan Lee, let's bring this guy, Denny O'Neill, in and have him take the writer's test, which I didn't know they had such a thing as a writer's test. Um, and he did it, and they were like, okay, let's, let's hire this guy. Um, now, he, here's the funny thing. He wasn't at Marvel very long. Um, he did uh, like a page excerpt for Fantastic Four for his writing thing, and then he did like um, some issues of Strange Tales, Doctor Strange, uh, Rawhide Kid, Millie the Model of all things, yeah. right? Um, and I guess he also did, like, uh, issue of Daredevil 18 over a plot that Stan Lee did. Um, so it's funny that uh, he is such a giant in the industry, but he didn't really get his fame at Marvel, which is where, let, let's face it, so, so many of these guys did. Um, because after yeah. Marvel, he even does some stuff for Charlton Comics, okay? And, and we know I love this. what a struggling output that was. Right? Oh, yeah. Um, but here's what's funny. He goes to D.C., he leaves, leaves Marvel, and D.C. is where his lightning struck. Oh, yeah. Um, so Dick Giordano, I can never pronounce that guy's last name, <laughs> was actually the editor over at With Charlton. Charlton and when he left Charlton and went to D.C., he took all the writing, a bunch of the writing staff with him. How pissed are you at Charlton if he does that? It's like, I'm, and he also to took, oh, and I'm taking half your writers. And guess <laughs> who he also brought with him? Jim uh, Aparo. Yeah, so... Mm -hmm. But what was funny is he gets over there and uh, didn't realize this. Uh, he does beware the creeper. So he creates that character. He goes over to Wonder Woman, and I did not know this one. This is the gentleman who gave us the depowered Wonder yeah. Woman in the I Ching series, um, which was revolutionary. It was a good story, but let's be honest, it did not sell well, and it was not a hit. No. Um, also, yeah. Well he, he go on to later say that he really, really regrets working he, he on that. He did come back later yep. and say, you know what? That was a mistake. I should have never that done That was it. a mistake. I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. But, you know, even the greats have some misses, you know? Right. Even the greats. Um, so it, it's a... Also did uh, some issues at Justice League. But now we're getting to the two titles. Actually, three titles, because I'm going to cover one of them, where lightning struck and he captured it in a bottle and it just took off. So apparently in Brave and the Bold, uh, Bob Haney and Neil Adams did the whole new hard-edged Green Arrow and, and kind of made him the political figure. And they took that, O'Neill did, and they ran with it in Green Lantern. So Green Lantern, Green Arrow, 76 is when he first showed up. Um, that runs for like, what, I guess maybe a year almost? Um, and that is also 
the same run where we get the um, great Green Lantern 85 and 86 where we find out that Speedy is a junkie, um, which actually yeah. got him on talk shows and even got articles in the New York Times yeah. because comics just weren't doing that. Right. I mean, Yeah, that was that, revolutionary. Right. Well, not to mention, too, um, they took Green Lantern, Green Arrow, and this is the whole you know, hard-traveling heroes era, and they definitely made like one left wing, one right wing, and they put him at odds the entire time during the series. Right. But they showed them still being friends and getting along. Right. Not like today's CF when people <laughs> argue with one another and they're unfunny with one another and not talking to each other. Oh, yeah. It showed that you can have a difference of opinion and still be a decent person. I'm not going to slap you and never talk to you because you're against gun control or you're against this or what have you. No. Yeah, because I would go so far as to say that, you know, Oliver Queen is probably Hal Jordan's best friend. Right. Right. Yeah, there's I mean, there's, there's no doubt about it. They're, 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 they're besties. So, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, uh, one of the pivotal uh, series in comic book history. And then he hits Batman. That's your cue. <laughs> <laughs> if everyone can see what I'm wearing tonight, I am wearing a T-shirt that pays homage to one of Denny O'Neill's first projects on Batman, a story called Night of the Waiting Graves. This is actual. This is actually from a lithograph that was done by Neil Adams in 1996 called Turning Point 1970. And, and how, how apropos, because Batman through... We're under the tutelage of Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams, Dick Giordano, and being edited by the great Julius Schwartz, Batman, the status quo of Batman was changed, but for the better. They took Batman back to his roots, where on the TV series, because, because up until 1970, 71, all we had was the Adam West television series and the 1968 Filmation animated series, which by many standards, a lot of people look at that as the fourth season of the Batman television series. Right. And it's just animated. But, and in on that series, you saw Batman in broad daylight, which kind of ticked off a lot of people because Batman has always been this guy that comes out at night, does his business, and goes back in, thus feeding the urban legend about Batman. So, Danny O'Neill decides to take him back to his roots, have him be that nocturnal character, but focus on what makes Batman great, being a detective. Right. And through that, and during that time, in addition to the Waiting Graves, we saw how he went to Brave and the Bold and revamped Green Arrow, but also he introduced probably, quite arguably Batman's most dangerous villain. Rachel Gould. And because Neil Adams said simply, Batman needs a Moriarty. And who better than Rachel Gould, the guy who's kind of like the Phantom, the guy that never dies? And you he know, just Enos, I never, back. I, I never thought about it like that, but yes, I would probably com compare Al Gould to Moriarty. Oh, that, absolutely. That, that is, that is, that's an excellent comparison. Exactly. Yeah. And and um, this weekend, I was a bit, a bit of bitter irony. I had the DVD Necessary Evil, the DC supervillains, 
And I was hoping to see they would see if they were going to do anything. Um, if they did, did an interview with Denny O'Neill in regard to that, they didn't. But you'll never guess who it was. Who it was? Um, narr- who the narrator was? Christopher Lee. Oh, ooh. it was one of the last <laughs> things he did before he died. Now, the reason why I'm bringing up Christopher Lee. I want y'all to visualize something. Because a lot of the Rachel Ghoul looks like Christopher Lee. There it is. Because if <laughs> they had did if they had put Batman out in the theaters around the same time they did Superman, who better? Who better to would have played Rachel Ghoul than Christopher Lee? Because he's 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 always played that villain that just when you think you've gotten rid of him, he always comes back. Let's check um, case in point, the Fu Manchu films and the Hammer Dracula films. And this set the standard for what Batman would become for the for up until this point. Because if it wasn't, a lot of people can say what they want about the different writers who took, out, took over after O'Neill. If it wasn't for Danny O'Neill, there wouldn't have been Steve Englehart. There wouldn't have been Don Newton. There wouldn't have been Doug Mensch. There wouldn't have been Jerry Conway. There would have never been so many of us who came after him. He set the standard. Well, remember, too, the Batman title was hurting. Um, it was in danger of cancellation right. because they had gone so hard into the, the camp route from the TV show that the actual comic collectors who had been reading for years were not buying Batman. No. Um, so in a, in a way, a very much a big way, I, I should say, Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams, and Julius Schwartz saved that title. Yeah, they did, and also because also now, hang on, let me yeah. let me interrupt for one second. Isn't that the run to where they bring back Joker? Who That's where I was going to get yeah. to. It was do, and was all. Not only did Batman experience a renaissance during that period, so did the Joker because Julius Schwartz hated him so much. He didn't want any. He wanted nothing of him to be seen. From 1966 up until 1970, Daniel Neal and Neil Adams both convinced Schwartz that how vital the Joker was to the Batman mythology. And boy, when they brought him back, they brought him back big and probably the premier Batman Joker story, the Joker's five-way revenge where it it pales in comparison to the Dark Knight movie because it's the one of the few Batman stories where you actually see the Joker stay one step ahead of Batman throughout the entire story and he and he came very close to killing him by catching him off guard. Right. I don't know. I that's a great Joker story, but I'm still always going to put my money on, on, killing, uh, joke. on killing joke. Oh yeah. Because you see how evil he is and at that scene at the end when you realize that him and Batman are just, you know, a hair's breadth away from being the same person. Oh, yeah. Uh, so. I think the killing joke, where the Joker's five-way revenge started, the killing joke took the Joker over. Right. He, it, it got him over to where you see how, because, because let's face it, a lot of the stuff that came after that was watered down because... There were, because Daniel O'Neill pulled no punches in the Joker's five-way revenge. After that, you saw him that tilt her off. But when Alan Moore and Brian Bolland did uh, the Killing Joke, we saw the Joker for the bastard well, that he was. Well, remember, he is. That's probably how Daniel O'Neill and Neil Adams sold Swartz on bringing yeah. back Joker. It's like you know, 
they're writing this guy wrong. Yeah. He needs to be uh, dangerous. He needs to be a killer. This is the the craziness and the pranks and the jokes. That's how he throws you off guard. Yeah. Um, and that's what did it. And if you and and also one last thing, I can honestly tell you, and from reading the stories because I was rather young at the time. I collected the books and record. There was a um, Joker story that was a part of the Peter Pan book and record. The way Neil Adams, he took from um, Danny O'Neill, the way he portrayed the Joker, I had to admit it actually scared me a little bit. <laughs> hey, Tommy, Olivia, you guys got anything over there on uh, his DC run? Because I got one I'm going to touch here. Um, well, it looks like he... Uh... He does. He does team up with uh, Jules Schwartz. He becomes the editor of Superman with issue two thirty three. Hang on, um, that's what I got. You go right ahead. That's what you got. Yes. Uh, okay. So so, go ahead, and then we'll talk okay. about it. Yeah. We'll, we'll we'll leave that one out then. But he does be, uh, he does work on the, uh, the the Captain Marvel series with um, w- um well Shazam. I guess I should say is what <laughs> C. the C. title C. of it was because they put Captain Marvel on there with the original artist C.C. Beck. Um, so he, he did have a he did have a hand in that. Um, he looks like he also produced uh, some some of the shadow at the, during this time, and did the uh, the oversized comic Superman versus Muhammad Ali. And he's actually said that's one of his was he said that was one of his favorite stories yeah. ever. What Superman versus Muhammad Ali? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I knew it existed, but I didn't really know a whole lot about it. So I have the original. It's a great story. And and and. It's one of the stories that humanized Superman a great deal. Well, because I remember when that came out, uh, I was a kid going, how is Superman going to fight Muhammad Ali? He'd kill him. Yeah. Well, apparently right. there is a special, because uh, I guess aliens is what uh, brings him out on this or takes him away. Um, they depower Superman, they depower so he's Superman. just a regular guy. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, okay, well, that makes more sense. Then. And and Superman didn't throw a punch. He took he took everything from Muhammad Ali. Spoilers! And- I'm, 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 <laughs> I don't think you can spoil a 42-year-old comic for you. <laughs> Some uh, of us haven't read it, Enos. I thought you read it, man. <laughs> You've had 42 years to read it. Right? <laughs> so, anywho, let's go back to what Tommy was talking about. Um, so, he does the, the Green Arrow, Green Lantern series, and it shatters expectations with that. Then he gets on Batman. And same thing, he, he pulls it up out, the, out of the gutter and, and revitalizes that series. Jody Schwartz also took over as editor of Superman because um, Mort Wessinger had left. Um, one of the things he does is he gets rid of all the writers, too. Yeah, he did. <laughs> and he brought Denny O'Neill in to, to Superman. Um, and then there was basically some mandates that went down, um, such as um, all the other uh, Kryptonians are gone. There's no more Bottle City of Candor out of there. All the super pets are gone. They're out of right. there. The stupid super robots in the Fortress of Solitude, gone. They're out of there. Um, the other thing he decides to get rid of is all the um, literary devices that yeah. he powers Superman, including kryptonite. kryptonite. It's out of there, getting rid of it. Um, so then, that's what happens. Denny O'Neill takes over Superman with issue 233. Now, I don't have the original issue. What I have is, several years ago, DC Comics did these classic library editions, and I have the entire Superman Kryptonite Nevermore series from that. Um, and it does have in it here, there's a nice foreword at the beginning of it um, by Paul Levitz, who was then publisher. We got the cover to Superman 233, in which we actually see the whole thing with Kryptonite being made inert, and now it has no effect on them. But at the same time... Uh, 
it creates some type of weird sand replica of Superman himself um, that ends up becoming the main nemesis in this arc. But the thing that's really great about this edition, if you guys can find it, I don't know if Olivia still has it in the store or not, um, but it also has an afterword by Mr. O'Neill himself where he talks about after a year into this book, he asked Julia Schwartz to be let go from it. Yep, here it is. Here's the afterword. Uh, where he says, you know, I guess things weren't working out with him in the Superman book. He says, you know, to be let go. They said, okay, sure. He lets him out of it. And literally, the very first issue after that issue, 243, they go right back to the old Superman. Yeah. Because one of the things they were working on as well was depowering him a little. Because in his afterward, he even says, how can you write for a guy who can do everything? Exactly. Um, exactly. So <laughs> what was supposed to happen Superman was supposed to get the same treatment as Batman mm -hmm. and Green Lantern and Green Arrow. It was supposed to go past this year. Uh, unfortunately, with this passing, we'll never know why he left the book. But if you ever read this, you'll just be like, man, what if he had stayed there? Yeah. Have you read this? Yeah, I got it. It's a, I mean, it's a great story. And yeah. I have the original first issue. I, if you have not read this series, find this reprint, find some other reprints, um, contact our buddy Olivia here at uh, Gateway. Um, she'll go looking for it. She'll dig it up somewhere. This was a great story. Definitely a must-have. Uh, now, here's what's funny. So after he does all this at DC, he goes back to Marvel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy, what did he do when he was over there? So he goes back to Marvel in 1980, and he takes up the scripting chores for Amazing Spider-Man for a year. I did not know he was involved in Spider-Man, let alone for a year. So that was that was big news for me. Um, he wrote two issues of the Amazing Spider-Man Annual, which were both drawn by Frank Miller. So that's that's pretty cool. Uh, did a team-up feature with Doctor Strange, an um, 1981 Annual with The Punisher. Um, they introduced some uh, some various characters during this time: Madam Web, Hydro Man. Uh, looks like uh, he came up with Lady Deathstrike. It says that he is was responsible for the character concept. Transformer is credited with the person who named Optimus Prime. I knew he was going to have that one. <laughs> well, yeah, you got to bring that up. Yeah, which I don't know if I believe that or not because you know I, I I think it was a cartoon and a toy before it was the 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 comic. So I think Optimus had his name before that. But I mean, if he is indeed the one that named Optimus Prime, I mean that's got to be considered his crowning achievement. Right. I well, mean. You're forgetting one of the main, main characters he created over at Marvel. Oh, yeah? Obadiah Who bigger Stane than I from Iron Man. I was going to say, there got to be Obadiah Stane from yeah. Uh, Iron Man. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, you're right. I did leave him out. Obadiah Stane, uh, later the Iron Monger. Right. Um, he sent Tony back into alcoholism, too. So nope. that was a big... And that that's was a big point I wanted to touch on, because uh, we talked a little bit about... The, you know, the heroin addiction and everything that the characters in the Green Arrow series and Green Lantern world were experiencing. But the whole concept of, um, you know, Iron Man facing his alcoholism, excuse me, and all of that, we wouldn't have like the, the very gritty version of Iron Man that we have in all the movies and everything now without him introducing those struggles that he had. Absolutely. And same thing with Batman. I mean, he's definitely the gritty, like scary dark knight that we have that came in the movies. So well, yeah, if anything, you know, he, def he, he definitely makes his heroes imperfect and everything, which is good because you know they're they're humans. They they need to be. There's another thing I want to touch on in regard to Batman that a lot of people don't know. Um, if you read the Legends of the uh, what was it, Legends of the Dark Knight series, right. he laid the groundwork for the creation of Bane. 
there was a storyline where Batman got hooked on this steroid called Venom. Mm-hmm. Back, back uh, it, it was uh, started just when I left for the Gulf War and had wrapped up just when I left to return home. And we saw... We saw bad. We saw bad. How flawed Batman is, but we also saw got a, a real in-depth look of how resilient he is because he knew he had to get off of this or he was going to die. They graphically show how Bruce forced Alfred to close up the cave and leave him down there and have him go cold, quick kick Venom cold turkey. And it was after 45 days, they he opens up the cave. Bruce comes up, no cow. His hair is all over his face. He's got a beard, and his costume is in tatters. And it was just that Batman was that just reflect was a reflection on. Even though Batman could get hooked on something, he was determined to get unhooked as he was getting on that. And it was just it, it just showed the resolve of Batman and how and why he's popular. Well, he uh, when you look at all of his work, um, obviously all the stuff at DC, the things he did at, at Marvel with Obadiah Stane, and like Olivia said, having Tony crawl back into the bottle, um, even though he didn't really start under Stanley, right? You see, he's heavily influenced by Stanley because oh, yeah, all his characters time. are flawed and are human, um, which was a thing Stanley always said right from day one. I don't like superheroes because they, they always win the day. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, everybody's got flaws, so why wouldn't a superhero? You right. know. So I noticed that none of you have addressed the elephant in the room. His one bad idea, the one stinker. Let me guess. Are you talking about Azrael? Nope. No. I like Azrael. Azrael turned out to be a good character. He just got handled wrong. Okay. Man. The only other thing that I can think of that O'Neill had a hand in was when he created Hank Hall to become Monarch. There you go. He's got it. I'm getting 2001. 2001. Now, here's the thing, though. I'm pretty certain that Danny was a guy who said, it's going to be Captain Adam. And they all went, brilliant. Yeah. And then someone leaked it out. <laughs> no. So that, that is the only thing. That was, that was the downer, man, because everybody, like, Hawk, <laughs> he already has a temper. Right. He's like, he stays mad just because he can. <laughs> but you know what? Not only did he uh, was a great writer, you know, he did a lot of editing duties over there at Marvel and DC as well. Um, so, like, I did not know that, but apparently he actually fired Roger McKenzie off of Daredevil. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so that Frank Miller could do it. Mm. <laughs> and, you know, we all know how that worked out. Right. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, also, well, he, he encouraged Miller to do that whole martial arts style of fighting, which I guess is why he got rid of McKenzie, because I guess Miller was already drawing it, so he wanted him to write it as well. Mm-hmm. And the rest, as they say, is history. Right. Um, yeah, a lot of good stuff came during that that Frank Miller run on on Daredevil. Oh, you know. Well, again, what? he became a much. Oops, sorry. Oh, go ahead, he go became ahead. a much grittier version. Yeah, more of a street level hero than you know, along the lines of like a Batman or or something like that than what he previously had been. What did, what O'Neill did for Daredevil 
what Simonson did for Thor because Daredevil and Thor both were in the same vein. They were popular characters, but like if you only would want to read them when you were in the mood for them. But when Miller took over and then brought in Bullseye, Elektra, and and really showed the man behind Daredevil, people jumped on it. And the same thing with um with Simonson on Thor. It was just like he wrote Thor to where you just couldn't miss an issue. Right. And that was like, who was the guy that, uh, because you and I were in high school around the same time, because Conan the King was a good book, but um, was it David Michelini that wrote that wrote the King is Dead storyline, the Prince is Dead storyline, where everyone thought Prince Connor got killed? Oh, that was a great story, yeah. And, and, and like, when the way he wrote that, you didn't, and especially when at the end of the first issue, everyone thought Prince Khan was dead, you see him running from wolves at the end, you were like, oh, God, I got to see how this is going to end up. You know what up. sucked about that King Conan title? What was that? The thing was quarterly when it first came out. Oh, Remember that? Yeah. Oh, my. <laughs> you had to wait three months yeah. for the next issue. And you was like, <laughs> you going to the store, got your money, ready to get dog on King Conan, or it doesn't come out for two weeks. You're like, you, you be listening to the click on you, big dummy. Well, no, you picked up the book in, like, say, May, right. and the back of it said issue two, and it told you, like, July. You went, July! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like that storyline, I'm, I'm just to give an example. When when he, who, where, I, I think it was Michelini that wrote that. I would have to look it up. <laughs> I gotta look remember. that up. But man, it was like you didn't want to miss Conan the King from that point. If only there was like some type of uh, an engine. Yeah. On, on your computer, and you could type in something, and it would like pull back an answer for you. That, you know, tell you. you tell me about. Oh yeah, Google. <laughs> Smart ass. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what else we have on, on Denny O'Neill? Because we got some time to kill, but um, blah, blah, blah. Oh, I got something really good. I forgot. Just you do your thing. Right there. Gone. Oh, you forgot it? Well. Oh. Well. Um, Go ahead. He was responsible for the creation of Leslie Tompkins, who was the old lady that was there at in crime at, well, well Park Row, on the night of Bruce Wayne's parents' murder. And um, they had they evolved her character, but she was the one that took him in and watched over him. Now, they didn't really go any further with that, but and the post-crisis story, post-crisis Batman, uh, where my book on show and tell for the night came from, um, they had, they upgraded her to where she raised Bruce. Right. So she and Alfred co um kind of like co-parented Bruce. And she was a doctor who um, Batman set her up with with a, with a medical practice in Crime Alley. Well, remember, too, uh, there's a lot of issues where sometimes he's injured in the field, so to speak. Right. And he's knocking on her door at like 2 a.m. Right. Because she even makes jokes about uh, this would be so much nicer if you could keep regular uh, you know, doctors. Regular. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but also, too. So I was actually getting... Go ahead, Lydia. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go. I was just going to say, I was going to touch base on that. So that happened in Detective Comics 457, but there's a whole very interesting timeline of his origin stories, how this scene that we always see in the movies and in Gotham, the TV series and stuff, how his parents actually died or how he reacted after he, he was in that alleyway. Um, it started in uh, Batman number one. They had kind of the short, sweet, like, oh, his parents are dead. That's it. He moved on as a kid. And then... O'Neill and Detective Comics 457 
kind of pushed it even further and showed you them dying, but also the after effects of how we reacted. And then Leslie Thompson came in and then eventually they ended up, um, that was his 35th anniversary issue. And then after that, you have like kind of the grittier again, Dark Knight's Return, Frank Miller. That's when they introduced the iconic pearls on the gun image that we see in um, Zack Snyder's movie that came out. Um, So it's really interesting to see how that storyline evolved and they started adding more and more to characterize what happened that night. Awesome. But he was really the first to start to do that. And and it's so funny because you're absolutely right. Before that, the origin never went past much. They're shot, they're dead, he becomes Batman, you know, and move on. He starts delving into, well, no, there's stuff that happens after that that we should get into. Yep. There's a whole lot of stuff happens after that exactly and one thing that i um i don't know if he had a hand in it or not but um wasn't he no because he was he was in marvel still um there's a three-issue miniseries the untold legend of the batman where and i would love to see them um do this they had it where there was a more solidified reason for batman's parents being murdered um, long story short, Batman was at a costume party. I mean, Dr. Wayne, rather, was at a costume party. Gets kidnapped by these, by these racketeers. They work for a guy named Lou Moxon who got in a um, gunfight with a rival uh, gang member. They brought him in to pull the slug out. Knowing that he was, they were going to kill him, he fought his way out, testified against Moxon. But come to find out, Moxon went up, but he swore that he would get even with him. And Moxon got out on a technicality and confronts and Wayne. A hit on him. Yeah, and confronts Wayne on the street and said, "I haven't forgotten about. I'm still going to get you, but I'm going to do it my own way." Come to find out, and I wish they had stayed with this because it's a much better storyline. Joe Chill was actually a hired hitman to deliberately kill the Waynes and leave Bruce alive, so it would look like a robbery gone bad where none of, nothing would go back to Moxon. But there was a story where Batman and Robin had gotten into a altercation with a, with a group of thugs, and Batman's costume was destroyed. Batman happened to have Dr. Wayne's costume so they could go after Moxon, and Batman said, yeah, it'd be almost I, like as if Dad was arresting Moxon. I remember this story. Yep. And so they in the midway... Moxon suffers a head injury when Batman goes to confront him and he has no recollection of what happened. He passes a lie detector test and everything. So when Batman confronts him in Dr. Wayne's costume, it brought everything back. And Moxon goes, you're some doctor. I offed you. I I, I killed God. I remember this. I, 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 I had you killed. And he and Batman goes after him. The fool runs out of the building and runs in front of a Mack truck. Needless to say, that was the end of him. Was but that, are you sure that was Untold Legend of the Batman? Yeah, it was in was it issue on, one of I the. I do un, remember reading this. It's yeah. in the it's in the issue of Untold Legend of Batman, but I do believe it's in Batman number fifty four, fifty four between fifty four and fifty nine. Where it deals with Batman's origin. Okay, because I, and, I remember and, reading it was a three issue miniseries because it was the, yes, it was a set because first it was like World of World of Krypton and then the whole 
Legend, Until Legend of Batman, because that's what kicked off all the whole mini series. Exactly. And the first issue was was written, the whole series was written was written Lord Jesus written? was written by the late great Len Wein, and the first issue was drawn by the art was done by John Byrne and Jim Aparo. John Byrne got pulled to go to Marvel right after the first mm-hmm. issue, and Aparo finished it up. So he's got another uh, huge piece of Batman history. We're going back to the show and tell Batman four hundred eight, first appearance of Jason Todd. Right. Yep. Do you know what Denny O'Neill, O'Neill's connection is to Jason Todd? One nine hundred kill Robin. He was the editor at the time they killed yep. Jason Todd. And do you? Who should know, still be dead? And and do you <laughs> know? But, but but you know, Jason Todd getting killed was the killing it. One nine hundred kill Robin was the best thing that ever happened to Jason Todd. You guys. No, 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 hold on. I'm, 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 I'm going to tell you why. He should still be dead. And and, and I'm going to tell you why. Because when they brought, when, when Judd Winnick brought him back as the Red Hood, that made a much better character. And now you can't get enough of the guy. I, you know, I'm going to agree. I like Red Hood. But the way they brought him the, back was just really, huh? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and like uh, when did Super Prime punching? Yeah, Superboy Prime, punch when when they were in this barrier after the crisis on Infinite Infinite Earths. Superboy Prime was at the level when he was starting to go insane, so he kept hitting the barrier, and he hit the barrier mm-hmm. so hard till he disrupted time. Um, long enough where Jason Todd woke up in his casket, right, and crawled up the. And he and, and and if you remember in Batman Hush, there was an issue where Batman goes to the cemetery and there's Jason's um um casket busted out and torn straight yeah. to hell. That was when Jason actually and and here's a little secret. That the Jason that we saw that everyone thought was Clayface was actually Jason. He was he wanted to come back and take revenge on Tim Drake because he felt he took his spot because he felt Batman had abandoned him. And then they threw it underwater, made it look like it was Clayface, but no, it was actually Jason <laughs> Todd, and the Riddler was behind it. Yep, oh. it's just me or is he fired up today. He's a little he bit is. fired up. Yeah. <laughs> You, you get Batman going, and, and Enos is all there. I, one day I'm just going to give Enos a whole show on Batman for him. Yeah. I'm just going to stand here and watch. <laughs> um, so the man did win some awards. Um, I guess uh, the Academy of Comic Book Arts used to have what was called the Shazam Award, uh, which was a lightning bolt. Okay, good. Makes sense to me. Uh, <laughs> but it was for, uh, I guess, the best uh, continuing feature of Green Lantern and Green Arrow. So he won some awards for that. That's good. Also got... Uh, Best individual story for the No Evil Shall Escape My Sight from his run with Neil Adams, so that's good. Best writer, Dramatic Division, which, yeah, funny that they had a Dramatic Division. Yeah. Also, um, is this Goth, G-O-E-T-H, Goth Award? He also won for, like, Famous uh, Professional Writer, and then was nominated the same year in 1973. Um, so it was funny. These awards didn't run very long. No. Um, so, we'd like to, but they were evolved into other things down the road, so... I'm just surprised he should have won more awards. I would, I would think, you know. And he gave us one more character too. Uh, you missed it. Who? John Stewart. Oh yes, that's right. Now that's a because when I was looking at the Green Lantern run, uh, now he's he doesn't give us the issue where he becomes Green Lantern. Right. He gives us the man John. Stewart. Yeah, he introduces us to John Stewart. 
And if it's one thing I'm very glad that he did live to see how popular John came with became because of what Bruce Tim did with him in just in the Justice League cartoon from uh, 2001. So now I have to ask, uh, because I haven't seen the story, is John Stewart the man in the Green Lantern story where he's asking Green Lantern, "What have you done for the blacks?" No. Okay. No. Is that that was just the old man that lived in the area? Oh, right. Where yes, the, it was. That's right. Yeah. All right. That is all the time that we have for this week. I do want to remind everyone that Madman does his show, Shock Monkey Radio, every Tuesday from 6 to 7 p.m. here on FXBG Public Radio. We do have Facebook.com slash Lost in the Long Box. <clears throat> I am losing my voice. Uh, lost in the Long Box at gmail.com. I got the COVID. Damn, I got it. Um, so our Facebook groups, Batman Yesterday, Today, and Forever, Realm of Superheroes, Comics, and Pop Culture, gathered together the greatest superhero teams. Until next week, um, everybody, um, be safe. We will talk to you in a week. Good night, everyone. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. <laughs>